How many of you know, this isn't part of the sermon, this is, this, this is free. How many of you know uh, why you're wearing red today? Anybody? Okay, Pentecost, why? Red. Why on Pentecost? 50th day after Easter is Pentecost, but why, why, what does the red symbolize? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Some, tongues of fire. When the Spirit of God fell upon the people in the upper room and the, they came and the Holy Spirit came, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church, being a part of what it is and what it represents. It's, sim, it's symbolic. Wearing red doesn't make you more spiritual than anybody else. I'll let you know that ahead of time. So those of you who didn't wear red don't have to feel bad about yourselves. And those who did, don't feel good about yourselves. Just, uh, you know, it's, just, it's just, just one of those things that we do because we celebrate the wonder of God and all that he does. It's a remembrance, just like when we do communion. It reminds us of the sacrifice that God did for us in Christ Jesus. In the Pentecost and other special days that we set aside and we acknowledge are moments that remind us how God is continually working in our lives all the time in all the aspects of our living God's there and being a part of that as we look. Now that part was free, and so we'll get back to the to the sermon and the things that are there. Have you ever noticed that uh, in, of all the senses that we have, the five senses that they say we have, uh, that probably smell is the one that people remember the most. It seems to be most distinct. It's something that stays in your mind, and, and you you know it lingers there as you're there. And we can all think of places immediately that you think of that have a particular smell to them when you enter into that particular building or whatever. Uh, uh, some some uh, buildings have just a uniqueness that you know when you walk in. Even if you didn't know where you were, as soon as you walk in, you figure it out real quickly because there's just a distinctiveness. And, and smell is that way. And the Bible talks about that. And we're going to look at a couple of passages, one in Exodus and one in 2 Corinthians this morning, that talk about the aroma of God, the aroma of Christ that is in God's people, that, that spiritual blessing that God sees and senses in our lives. And, and I believe that as we continue to talk about the family and who we are as, as Christians, the Christian home is a sanctuary of God, even as this is the sanctuary that we gather in and worship together here. Our homes are to be a sanctuary unto God as well because God lives there in the presence of his people that dwell there, being a part of that. And, and a part of that is that I, I think the scripture is teaching that because God, is this, this blessing of this aroma of the incense and the things that are there that lingers and, and reminds us that we're in the presence of a holy God, that same kind of sense of smell, that same kind of sense of awareness of the aroma that pleases God, the prayers of our lives that rise up before God and things are to saturate our homes and our lives and so that there ought to be a sense of that together as we look at that. And it ought to welcome people. It ought to remind us even in our homes that God is here. God is here. And don't we want that in our homes more than anything else, the realization, the understanding that God is with us? And it doesn't matter whether we live in a single household or whether we uh, household with uh, numerous people in it. We want God to be there and be a part of all that's going on. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read out of Exodus, first of all, chapter 30 and verses 22 through 25, and then turn over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. And these both passages speak about the anointing, the, the aroma, the, the oil of anointing that God pleased with and used in the Old Testament. It was used to set, help anoint, to help set apart the temple, the t instruments within the temple, the people, the priests, the different ones 
to just bring a pleasant odor, aroma to God of his people. And whenever they entered, it was still that lingering presence. We know this is God's house. And I want that to be true in my home. I would like to be true in our church home and the things that are there. So follow along as we read, first of all, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 25. Really the whole section, and even beyond that, but just for the sake of time this morning, we'll pause with these. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take also for yourself the finest of spices, a flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, the fragrant cinnamon, half a much, as much, 250, and of the fragrant came Cain, 250, and of Cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen, you shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And it goes on to speak of the anointing that goes on with that. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter, four, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the scripture says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we think together through all this might mean and the symbolism that is there for us, We've talked about the symbolism of, of Pentecost and the red shirts and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've seen the symbolism of the communion when we're reminded again of the greatest gift that's ever been given in all of eternity when you gave your son to us in Christ Jesus. And he shed his life for us, gave his blood and his broken body that we might be saved. And Father, all those things remind us of what a great and gracious God that we have. But also, Father, you, you teach us in your word that, that there's a, a sense in the life of a believer in which as we live our lives out faithfully before you and before a lost world, as we give up our prayers to you and as we share confidently in regard to your being a part of all that we are, that there's just a sense of that incense of, of prayer, that sense of the aroma of the pleasure that you have in your people doing those things that please you. And it reaches all the way into heaven. If, Father, if we had time to read all the passages of Scripture this morning that refer to that and the pleasure that you take from that sweet aroma of the Christian life and all that it is about because of what you've done for us in Christ. Father, we just want to have homes that have that aroma that pleases you, lives that have that sense of smell that just says these people have been with God and they are in the presence of God and their lives reflect and, and give us memory and, of that great, great gift, the love of God. Father, bless us this morning and just let this place we're gathered here. Father, as already we've been blessed so wonderfully through music and the songs and, and prayer and communion and the things that we've done just let us continue now in the sweetness of being a pleasure to you as we lift up our lives our hearts our praise as we hear your word and we just give you glory so that we might be that sweet aroma to you and to a world around us in Christ's name amen you may be seated you know as we think together about this it's I know it seems a little bit unusual and maybe a little bit out of place and uh, for how we look at it and we think about it. And, and some of us think about, you know, I'm not really sure why we're even talking about family issues because a lot of us are older and our family's grown and whatever we did, we've done, and it's too late to do anything about it. We can't undo what we did do. But it's important because 
See, you and I are still God's people, and we still are the mentors of a lost world who need to see the example of what it means to walk with God in every aspect of our life and all the things that are going on and being a part of it. We still need to be the examples of who Christ is in the world that we're about, the things that we're doing. And we do that by allowing ourselves to understand how important it is to God that each of us live in such a manner that we're pleasing to Him, that we have that, that sense of that pleasing aroma before the Father, that He's pleased with the way that we live and the things that we do, the way that we speak, the attitudes that we have, and all that's going on. And, and foremost, as I mentioned last week, the home is the most important place on earth. It's the most important place that you and I can understand and know, and we need to realize and take to heart that and know that our homes need to be a reflection of God. They need to be as much a sanctuary as this place is, or more so. They need to be the place where as people enter into our homes and as they're a part of our lives and the things that are going on, our own family, as well as guests and friends and other relatives that might come, there always needs to be a sense that this is a holy place. This is a place where God dwells. This is a place where we can know that we have the peace of God prevailing no matter what else may be going on in the world that's there. How do we have that kind of a home? Well, there are several things, I think, that are involved in that, and I just want to share a few of those with you this morning and go over them with you as we think together about them. One of the first things that you notice about a house that has that sense of the aroma of God and the things about it is that it's a, there's a time when no one's at home. And by that I mean... Today, this morning, you're here in church. There's no one at home. You know, that ought not to be a time that you and I have to debate as Christians. Some people get up every morning, every Sunday morning and wonder, well, am I going to go to church today or not? Do I feel like it or do I not? Is there something else I might could be doing that I'd rather do than go to church? And we look for every reason in the world to go. See, as a Christian, in a Christian home, that should never be a discussion that takes place. It's just known. On Sunday morning, we're going to be in God's house. Because the Bible says in Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together like the world does. Not to be like other people, we're to be like God's people who make a special effort, who, who go through the process of sharing together because of the greatness of being together as a people of God in the fellowship that we share, the, the way that we encourage each other, the way that we strengthen each other, the way that we help one another be all that God wants us to be by being with one another in the house of God and the things that are going on and being a part of that. And so there are the, the, one of the ways that our homes become that sweet aroma of God is the realization that there's a time when it's just not anybody that's going to be home. Because they're going to be at church. They're going to be with God's people. They're going to be associating and fellowshipping and being with Him in every way. A lot of us put off everything that we can so that on Sundays we can do whatever else we want to do and not have to do it. It's a, and for some of us, it's just an obligation. The only reason I go to church is, well, I'm a Christian and I've got to go to church. No, there ought to be such a, we ought to be so in love with our Father. So in love with the God who gave himself to us in Christ Jesus. So amazed at the gift of God in our life that the most wonderful moments of our lives are those moments when God gives us the invitation to come into my house and meet with my people and celebrate together the wonder of God's love in your life, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God, all that he has done in your life. Celebrate that and rejoice in that and being a part of all that's going on. And that same sense needs to be in our homes as well. Is that here we know that that there's the peace of God that prevails. Here, God dwells, and, and His love is here, and we've seen His grace and being a part of that. But there ought to be that sense in our homes that worship is not something that we dread. It's not something that we hate to see coming around on Sundays or that we try to find every excuse that we can not to be there. But rather, that's just the most natural thing in the world for us to do because we're children of the living God. 
And it's his house that he's invited us to. And he says, I promise that when you come together in my name, I'm going to be there with you. Now, he's with us wherever we go because he indwells us. But he tells us that there's a special presence of the magnificence of God when God's people gather together and praise him and love him and being a part of that. And so we need to be that time in, in our homes in which there's a, there's a time when it's just no one home because they're with God's people doing the things that are there. If we want to have that kind of home that has that sense of the presence, the instance of God, the, the prayer, the power of God, there also needs to be a sense of our homes need to be places of hospitality. Now, I recognize over this last year, year and a half, that's been hard. We, we haven't been able to invite people to come over as much like we used to and like we'd like to, and we haven't felt comfortable going over to somebody else's house as much as we would do. Sometimes, some of us haven't even... Uh, felt comfortable going to see a relative. We just not felt like it was, it was safe, it was right, it was what we could do, it wasn't there. But we're, we're moving beyond that, thankfully. And, and we're back to the place where we can understand and realize that one of the gifts of God is his, his being hospitable to other people and the things that they're in. In fact, Peter, the book of First Peter tells us that one of the responsibilities that we have is to be a people of hospitality that we're to practice hospitality, that we're to welcome people into our lives, into our homes and being a part of it. And there ought to be such a sense of God's presence in our homes that people enjoy coming. They like being there. They know that when they come there, they may have left the home that's in turmoil, but when they step into your home, it's a place of peace. It's a place where they sense and feel the presence of God, and, and they enjoy being there. They look forward to the times that they come. It should be a shelter for people to know that here is a place where God abides. Here's a place where I can have the kind of relationship with him and with his people and the people that are here, the family. We need to be people who practice hospitality with one another. We do it here at the church, and we're beginning to get back to doing that better as we do things together and the things that are going on with one another, being able to have, even like last week, having our fellowship meal and some of the things that are there. We need to be a people who enjoy being together and enjoy practicing an openness to help people, to receive people, to enjoy people, and give them the sense that here is someone who walks in the presence of God, and I can feel God's presence when I'm with them and being a part of that. And we all know people like that. You've all walked into a home that you just immediately felt the peace of God. You just knew, and God's in this place. And, and there's, we've walked in homes when you just wondered where, <laughs> where God is because he's certainly not here. As we look at it, we don't want to be that kind of home. We want to be the home that people feel like here is grace, and here is welcome, and here I am received and welcome no matter who I may be or what may be in my life and what's going on and being a part of it as we look. But also, one of the things that needs to take place in our homes is that there ought to be a Bible for everyone. See, from the moment your child is born, he ought to have a Bible, or she ought to have a Bible. I mean, and the church does that when you have a child dedication, but even before that, because we don't always do that at the very beginning, they need to have a Bible. And they, they need to see it. Their children need to have their own Bible, and they need to be read to from the Bible until they can read, and then they need to read it for themselves and be a part of it. They need to know and understand the Bible. Now, I'm, I'm old school. I'm old, but I'm old school as well. And it's, it's, uh, I just think a Bible is good. I'm not up on technology. And I know people don't bring Bibles very much anymore, and they use their phones and things like that to read the Bible, and I know the Bible's in there, and they can read it like that and everything, and I'm not, don't hear me, I'm not against that. I just think it's better to have a Bible, to have God's Word in your hand, to be a testimony. When I walk into the church and I'm carrying a Bible, I'm saying something. 
I have God's Bible. It's God's Word. It means something to me. It's precious to me. I have it in my home. It needs to be, look, it needs to be read. When my ch- children or grandchildren see a Bible in my house, they need to know that someone's picked it up and looked at it before. It doesn't need to be one of those Bibles that sit on the coffee table and there's so much dust on it, you're growing your own garden in town and, and got it all there because you haven't opened it in so long, you don't even know what's going on. And if you did open it, there's spider webs and other things in there because you just don't use it. It ought to be the most used book in your, in your house. It ought to be read and, and talked about in your home and the things that are there. We ought to know what it says. We have emergency flashlights and candles and things like that for when the power goes out. The Bible says that this is the light that directs my path. This is what teaches me the things that I need to know and be a part of all that's going on. I need to know the Word of God. I don't need just to read it. I need to learn it. I need to let God speak to me. When I read this book, I need to say, God, I want you to speak to me today. What does this have to say to me? What are you talking to me about? And the Bible says that I should hide the Word of God in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against God. So that that I have the opportunity to pull upon the things of God and the strength of God and the things that are there to help me face the temptations of life and the struggles that I go through and being a part of it. I need to have the Word of God as a part of my life. I need to practice that. I need to read that. I need to know the Bible and being a part of that. It ought to be a special part of our homes and the things that are there, a Bible that we read and all of us having a Bible. And I'm not saying that so all of you throw away your computers. If you do that, give them to me and I'll do something with them. But uh, do not throw away your computers. Use your phone, your whatever. Read the Bible. I'm saying read the Bible. In whatever form you find it, read it. Study it. Learn it. Know it. Because it's a part of what makes our homes gracious. It's a part of what makes our homes aware of the knowledge of God and who God is. And what God wants us to know about Him. And all the wonder. You talk about amazing stories and the things that are here. This book has everything you could imagine in life, real life, that teaches us how to face the real life that we live moment by moment and things that are there and being a part of it. And our homes ought to be filled with God talk. We ought not be ashamed. If you ask anybody in here, if you're a grandparent, about your grandchildren, you just well sit down and take a while to relax because you're not getting away anytime soon. They're going to tell you everything they know about their grandchildren and probably a few things that aren't quite true. But they're going to say some things because they love their grandchildren. They, they're going to talk about them. They're going to talk, be a part of the things that are going on. Or if, it, if, they're in, if they're into sports or if they're into news stories or farming or banking or accounting or whatever it is, if, they, if you get to them talking about that which means the most to them, they're going to talk. Because that's what they like. That's what they enjoy. That's what they know. And that's how it ought to be in the home. It ought to be the most natural thing in the world to talk about God at home. To share about God and what God is doing and how God is doing, working in our lives and seeing and pointing out to our children and our grandchildren. Did you see how God did this in our life? And God made this provision for us. We've been praying because we didn't know how we were going to pay our debts and how we were going to make this bill this week. And God brought us the money. We had it. Isn't God good? And we pray before our meals and reminded that God is the provider of things for us, that he's the one that gives us these good gifts and the things that are part of that. We pray and we speak to God and we have that topic. We ought to talk about those things. What, what did God do in your life today? It ought to just be natural to talk about God and who he is and what he does in our life and what he's doing in our hearts and lives every single day because he's working every day if we just open our eyes and our hearts and minds and realize it. 
He's around us every day, moving and working and doing things. And the amazing thing of, of seeing those and experiencing those ought to just be a part of our home. It creates that atmosphere that we need in being a part of the things that are going on as we look at it. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his ways, but God directs his steps. And James talks about the fact that we shouldn't make plans about this or plans about that just as though everything's going to happen the way we want it to happen, but rather if God wills, this will happen, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, as we think about it. As we so it just, this is part of who we are. It's what we need to do and be as we share together in the things that are there. Our homes ought to be an example of living stewardship. Gerald mentioned that we ought to give until it feels good. Well, for some of you, you hadn't felt good in a long time. You need to give. Because that's the way God wants us to do, to, to rejoice and give. See, God is, God is a giver. He gave his only begotten son. The greatest gift that's ever been given was Christ Jesus to us. And he gave him freely without regard to any of us. All of us could have that gift. None of us are rejected. None of us are pushed away and said that you're not good enough for this gift. It's for everyone. All of us can experience the gift of God and grace and all that's going on. And we need to be stewards of that which God has given to us and, and be honorable to him in what we do. We need to teach that in our homes, but it's not just finances. We know that. It's about using our talents. It's about using our time. It's about using our personalities, our lives, the stewardship of everything that we are and everything that we have is a gift from God. And we've been given the gift of being stewards of everything on this earth. And we need to understand that and, and teach that and, and practice that in our homes and being a part of that. Your children ought to be a part of the offering. See, when we take up an offering, that's an act of worship. Some of us don't remember that and think about that, but the offering is as much a part of worship as every other part of the service. It's as important as the preaching. It's as important as the singing and everything else. It's, a part, it's an act of worship, something that we do together as a congregation and being a part of that. And we ought to participate in it and do that. I know some of us... Maybe write a check once a month or whatever and give, a, give that as our tithe or our offering, and then that's all that we do. But, you know, one of the things that we can learn to do just so that we're practicing and participating together in worship and doing the things together is just take a dollar a week or whatever beyond what we normally give and put it in the offering plate just so that we're participating together and doing it, and we're teaching those around us. Giving is a part of nature. Giving is a part of who we are as Christians. And our children, give them a quarter, a dollar, whatever, and let them give. Let them be a part of it, teaching them, training them. And that starts in the home. Why do we do that? We get a chance to pray. You, one of the neat things about the Old Testament is how God kept telling his people, you, do, you set up these stones for this, or you do this on a regular basis. And why do we do that? Well, so that when your children and your grandchildren come to you and say, why do we do that? You can tell them. We do that because that reminds us of what God did. That shows us the story of our history. That reminds us of how gracious our God is in providing for us and meeting our needs and the things that are going on and being a part of it. And we give because we are so grateful for the fact that God has blessed us in so many ways and done so much in our lives and being a part of that. And we're just saying thank you. We're just being reminding of our own selves that God is gracious and good. And we're part of those kind of things. That just ought to be a part of who we are as we think together and as we look together. But also, there ought to be family devotions and prayer. Your house ought to be a house of prayer. 
The Bible says that to us. It tells us, you know, Jesus drove the people out of the temple because they were making a mockery of the temple and not using it for the purpose of it. Isaiah said, this house will be a place where people from all nations, all people, can come to this house and be a place where they can pray. They had changed that, and they had taken the money, the, the courts of the Gentiles and the other things and turned them into money changers and all kinds of other things. It wasn't a place where people were welcome and could come and pray. And Jesus said, this house is not a place for, train, for doing business. It's a place for doing prayer. And then the Bible tells me that this house, this body, this is the temple of God. This is to be a house of prayer. This body is. This person and so we need to practice prayer. We need to pray. Our households should be places where prayer is natural, where prayer is easy, where we can pray all the time without concern and without doing where we talk to God. Now, we pray according to Scripture. We're to pray always without ceasing. We do that in our hearts, in our minds, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. I understand that. We have special moments of prayer. You had a vigil, uh, 24-hour vigil of prayer during the Easter time. We have moments when we call people to prayer, special prayers, things like that as we look at it. But it ought to be noted that in my home, we pray. In my home, we practice prayer. We don't just talk about prayer. We don't just pray when we're in trouble. We don't just pray when we're desperate. We pray because God's present, and we just talk with him through the day. We, we visit with him, and we know him, and we, he speaks with us when we're willing to be quiet long enough to hear what he's saying to us and the things that are going on, a place of prayer going on. I could go on and talk about these and other things that are going on, but really what I want us to understand is that the Bible tells us that as Christians, that the, the, the sweetness of God's work of grace is so amazing and so powerful that it ought to be felt and sensed in our lives and felt and sensed by others. That passage in Corinthians talked about the fact that, that we are a Roma of, of, uh, to those who are saved and those who are lost. As we look at it, it just means that wherever we are, there ought to be the awareness of Christ. There ought to be something that reminds people and points people to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's about and the things that are going on in our life. And that most centered place is home. And when we get it right at home, and that's probably the hardest place as well, but when we get it right at home, it's going to be, get, be getting right everywhere else. But it starts at the home, where we, as God's children, commit ourselves to Him. And we dedicate ourselves to Him with that, uh, that special anointing, that incense of prayer, and we commit to all that we are, and we ask God to take our home and commit it to Him. We, we have moments when we dedicate parents, new parents, and their child to the Lord. And I know that that's, a, again, a sim, that's a symbol Nobody can do something, make somebody else serve God or do something for God. Everybody makes that decision for themselves. But symbolically, we say we're offering this family or I'm offering myself as a parent or whatever it may be to God. I want to be the kind of parent that God wants me to be. I want to live the way that I want. And I want, you, I want to pray for my child. I, I want to pray that we provide the kind of home atmosphere and the things that we should so that my child has every possibility of being whatever it is God wants him to be or her to be. As we look at it, I want to have that kind of home. That kind of, and so we ought to dedicate our homes to God. Again, it's, it's symbolic. I understand that. But symbolism is strong. It teaches. It helps us to learn. And it brings home things that sometimes that we can't quite grasp in our minds unless we can see something, unless we can get a hold of it. 
And so we, we see it outwardly and we, we get a sense of the feel of it and what it's about and it becomes more real to us and, and takes hold in our lives and our hearts of what we are and it becomes more a natural part of what we are and who we are. So this morning, I, I just challenge you, I challenge myself. Let's remember, first and foremost, certainly, each of us, individually, our sanctuaries of the living God. He dwells within us. But also collectively, as a body of believers, we're the sanctuary of God. It's not the building. It's all of us here together that make this a place of God. And that's true of your home. Your home needs to be a place of God. A place where God dwells, where he reigns, where he rules in all things, where he's thought about talked about, lived, so that people that come into your home and even as you leave your home, you take that sweet aroma with you of the grace of God and the love of God and the practice of God and all that's going on. Our world is in need today. Your city is in need today of Christian homes. People who live their faith at home and then everywhere else they go, carrying with them the grace of God in all that they do. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come to the close of this service, and I know it's maybe been different and not exactly what people would think about or expect when they come to church, but I just think it's important, Father, that we think together. And we may come to different conclusions. Not everybody may agree with everything that I've said by any means, but it's, that's not important. What's important is that we allow your word to guide us and teach us and direct us. And, and I, I'm just convinced, Father, that, that you have talked, taught us, both in the Old and the New Testament, but especially in Christ, that there's a fragrance of salvation. There's a fragrance of grace of love, of hope that ought to exist within our homes. And that fragrance should be so strong and so powerful that the, resi the residual smell, aroma of it ought to go with us wherever we go. It ought to be recognized. It ought to be something that we sense. Even as we step into some places and we know what they are by the sense of smell, there ought to be that same sense in our own homes that the aroma of grace pervades all of our house and all of our lives. Father, just teach us, grow us. Help us to understand that we're, we're ever learning, always progressing. And let us grow into the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in Christ's name.